Indonesia has six months to plan how it wants to leverage a $20 billion partnership for a green transition of its coal-reliant energy sector. We ask, can all 270 million people in the rapidly developing nation benefit from the deal? This is the Eco Business Podcast. I'm Liang Li. We're excited to be starting a new series of podcasts that focuses on the energy transition in Southeast Asia. In this first episode, we scrutinize what it takes for regional powerhouse Indonesia to develop an equitable plan to decarbonize its massive energy sector. Earlier this month, Indonesia launched its Secretariat for its Just Energy Transition Partnership, or JETP, a tie-up with wealthy countries and large private investors. It marks the start of detailed planning into initiatives like the early retirement of its many coal plants and scaling up of renewable energy capacity. Top-line figures include a 20% cut in peak power industry emissions by 2030 and net zero for the sector by 2050. The stakes are high. Indonesia is one of the world's largest miners, exporters and users of coal. The fossil fuel is pollutive but also cheap. It has been key to helping millions of people escape poverty in the country in the past decades. So how can Indonesia continue to grow and help its people secure better livelihoods while meeting its green targets? What should be included in its JetP implementation plan moving ahead? And what exactly is just in the Indonesian context? Discussing these issues in today's podcast are Dr. Siwage Negara, a senior fellow at ICS Yusuf Ishak Institute in Singapore. Dr. Negara keeps a keen eye on economic and development issues in Indonesia. We also have Peter Godfrey, Asia-Pacific Managing Director at the Energy Institute, a think tank. Let's start with Siwagi. You know, how would you define, as I mentioned, what is just exactly in the just energy transition for Indonesia? Yes, uh, thank you, Liang Lei. I think uh, JetP is a new initiative uh, that uh, maybe will be a great opportunity for Indonesia to improve its uh, quality of growth and Indonesia uh, have been relying so much on coal uh, to uh, provide affordable electricity to the people. So yeah, I think the term just itself uh, needs to be divine, uh, adjusting to the situation in Indonesia. In Indonesia, the there's a kind of uh, inequality in terms of electricity access in Java and out, uh, compared to outer islands. There are a lot of uh, uh, kind of uh, di uh, diversity in terms of infrastructure and uh, some are also struggling to get the quality and also affordab affordable access to electricity. So in this case, the just term should be defined as uh, I think uh, should be defined as a more affordable and also more sustainable with uh, like a good quality of uh, access to electricity. I, I think I, I, I'm open to this the further discussion on what are other sectors that need to include beyond just electricity uh, provision for the, the, the people. How about you, Peter? So um, Siwagi's points were basically affordable electricity, access inequality and infrastructure. Um, are there other aspects that you think are important? And also are all these grounds as, as it stands covered in the JetP deal? So well, not everything's covered within JTP, and I'm sure we'll get delve into that. But um, let me let me confirm and agree with Siwagi to start with. I think number one on the list, though, uh, within Asia and not just Indonesia, 
is energy security, not just affordability and sustainability. And I think this is where actually Indonesia continues to have an inbuilt advantage in that, uh, you know, clearly there are a vast amount of energy resources that could be used, uh, including massive geothermal capabilities. But as Sigwagi said, the issue of justness is terribly important. And I come back to the main fundamental issue around the energy transition, which is electrification. Um, and I think it's very important to recognize that in a country like Indonesia, unlike America or Europe or whatever, electricity demand is forecast to double by 2050. Whereas if you look at Western countries, actually the amount of energy required uh, doesn't have to go up very much because of the increases in energy efficiency, and the technologies that are reducing energy intensity. So to me, the justness is very much recognizing that economically growing countries like Indonesia um, have a much bigger problem in terms of creating the energy systems for the future with that vast amount of additional energy that is required to power economic growth in the future. Now, as we move to electrification, then there are a load of questions to ask about whether the regulatory frameworks that are currently set up in Indonesia, which today are based on an oil and gas industry, basically, that uh, with a set of regulations that started 110 years ago and then developed around the need to create foreign income from the international oil companies effectively, is valid when we move to this new energy world. Looking within this context of energy increase, going forwards, the regulatory frameworks today are not fit for purpose for tomorrow. So that's about security, that's about affordability, that's about sustainability, but bringing them all together within the context of a brand new set of regulations that we'll, we will need to transition towards over the years ahead. Just, just to stick on the social part a little, um, Peter, you remember we were at a symposium a while back, and there was this question posed of, is there a part of society that shouldn't need, shouldn't have to pay for the external, the negative externalities of a green transition? And I think this is pertinent to Indonesia, right? Um, Siwagi, I would like to pose this question to you actually. How should you know this consideration of which part of society pays and doesn't pay for this transition? How should that reflect in the national policies, perhaps even beyond the purview of JP in Indonesia? I think that's that is a very relevant question. There are some uh, a part of the community that will be adversely affected when uh, Indonesia decided to move towards more uh, so-called green energy programs. So, for example, the those who are rely so much on coal uh, mining and coal electricity maybe uh, will have uh, some uh, significant uh, impact uh, from this program. Uh, what I can see that uh, this is a kind of uh, the policy that try to select the winner for certain sector, right? Uh, when government provide incentive for certain sector, it means that there are other sector that will uh, get get disadvantage. So how this uh, sector can be actually uh, compensated uh, and how to make them transition towards the greener program, uh, like those who works in the coal business. That's the thing that um, I think quite challenging to uh, 
for policymakers. I, I, I believe that there is need for consensus in this uh, in this kind of negotiation, how we compensate those uh, uh, group that be being affected. Uh, in, in the community in Indonesia, uh, I, I can see some uh, people that struggling to get electricity in the remote islands uh, outside Java. Uh, how how do you help these people to get more uh, electricity uh, access in relation to the green uh, program? Who should pay for this infrastructure, right? Uh, should should it be covered all by the government or should it be also in partnership with the private sector or industry for those who are living coal what will be their solution uh, for for the sustainability right uh, some industry depends so much on coal and when you force them to uh, use other type of energy it may affect their profitability and i am also still puzzling about this how can we really uh, shoulder the the cost of this uh, massive program equally uh, in in fair manner it's definitely a difficult question. Siwagi, just to stay with you, actually, um, at the same time, it's it's a bit of a devil's advocate question in that how do we make sure that, you know, this that the keyword just does not become a euphemism for slower transition? I mean, if you look at the JetP deal now, we have the top line figures like, you know, capping power sector emissions at, I think, 20% lower than what's projected in 2030. And I, as I mentioned, essentially tripling the share of renewables. These are these are steep targets for Indonesia, right? So you need right. the immediate momentum for, for you to achieve them. But how do we ensure that the just aspect of the transition does not become an excuse to slow things down? Well, that's a very difficult question. Yeah, I think uh, there are skepticism uh, yeah, uh, among many, uh, I think, uh, analysts that Indonesia uh, will really able to quickly transition towards green energy. So uh, achieving the net zero target will be uh, maybe uh, not so uh, fast as uh, what currently planned. And uh, given also the kind of lobbying from uh, those uh, fossil fuel industry like coal uh, miners and also other, uh, yeah, I think the uh, uh, industry that relies so much on coal. So there, there will be huge challenge to to push for this agenda. We need a political uh, will from the government actually to really, uh, as what Peter mentioned about uh, regulating this area. So regulation is important to provide business certainty, right? Uh, to give assurance that Indonesia is really serious about pushing this green energy transition. As uh, yeah, I think Peter mentioned that this regulation is uh, prepared uh, mainly for oil and gas sector. And it's not like for the future energy green sector. So we need to uh, see where the Indonesian government can quickly come up with the new regulation uh, with regard to renewable energy. Uh, and uh, I don't know, I think uh, how fast can Indonesia uh, government uh, pass this law, uh, given that uh, also the strong lobby from the uh, like coal industry and uh, other oil and gas industry players. The lobby groups from from coal and oil and gas. I mean, clearly, they see the whole transition as a threat. Um, in order to make the transition a success in one way or another, from an Indonesia perspective, we need to see the energy transition not as a threat, but as an opportunity. Okay, how do we do that? 
And I mentioned three elements, um, and you mentioned the young uh, this concept of externalities, and the question: Who should pay? We should all pay. But what does that mean? I talk about carrots, sticks, and hugs. Okay, we need to dangle carrots. We may need to create the opportunities that communities and industries can see. We need some sticks. And those sticks predominantly will go for those that are holding back the transition, such as the coal industry lobbies and oil and gas lobbies. They need to feel the pain if they want to, if they continue to business as usual and don't meet either word. I would remind you that today Indonesia still subsidizes its oil and gas uh, and its uh, coal industries. And the problem here is that the subsidies are going very much to the wrong people. Um, so those carrots are not being directed at where they really can make a difference. And that is part of what regulatory change needs to be put in place. And then I mentioned hugs. Hugs are all about embracing change. They're all about making people feel good about where we're going. So communications, social interaction around these issues are equally important. And that to a very large extent comes around to looking at the community issues on the Indonesian archipelago. So a whole range of policies are needed um, and those policies need to be set. You know, at the moment, for example, Indonesia and, and Southeast Asia still has an issue in that a lot of the energy transition issues are managed by the Ministry of Mine and Energy Resources and or the Ministry of Environment. The actual issue that needs to be resolved if we really believe in those carrots, sticks and hugs is at the ministry finance level and above. This is a fundamental economic change in the way Indonesia's, Indonesia's economy needs to be managed. Today, if you go to the Ministry of Finance, whether it's in Indonesia or Malaysia or Vietnam, and you talk about the energy transition, they'll say, oh, that's not our problem. It's a problem for the Ministry of Mines and Energy. That is the fundamental problem. Uh, Peter mentioned about the subsidies policy. Yeah, I think this is actually the biggest challenge, I think, for uh, pushing the uh, renewable energy uh, development in Indonesia or energy transition policy, because the one, uh, those who benefit from fuel subsidies are actually not the poor. But it is politically difficult to really completely uh, remove this policy. We have done a survey. This is a national survey in Indonesia. More than 80% of the uh, respondent actually uh, agree that Indonesia should or the government should continue the subsidy policy. While at the same time, 70% of the, the same respondent also agree that Indonesia has to move towards the greener energy. So they, they believe that Indonesia needs to shift towards the green energy, uh, towards the cleaner energy, solar, wind, or hydropower. But at the same time, they want the government to continue subsidizing fuel. So this is a dilemma for Indonesian uh, policymakers because whoever uh, uh, stay in the leadership will have to explain uh, communicate basically to to the the people why Indonesia uh, cannot uh, afford to continue the fuel subsidies. But yeah, I think uh, when when we expect that we have to move faster, 
who who should uh, get the stick or who who should get the carrot right uh, to to make it faster uh, transition so i think that's the challenge for policymakers right and actually that there's an interesting point you picked up that I wanted to move on a question, but let me just jump on that. So you mentioned that it is possible, it's basically an impossible dilemma, right? That, that that people want both a green transition and continued support for current subsidies. So how where where exactly does JetP come in to solve this problem? In the sense that is it about the money that's coming in, or is it about the policies that need to shift, which I think we've talked about a lot. So where does this balance between money and policy come in? And could there be any conflicts in this area? Because I mean, there are private investors involved in this deal, right? I'd like to come back at that, Leon, and say, you know, a large chunk of JTP is geared towards electrifying um, and geared towards creating renewables electricity. Now, I'll also come back to Siwagi's point to say, if we were to change the regulations tomorrow, there'd be a rev revolution on our hands in Indonesia, yeah, because too many people would be affected by too much change too quickly. So I, I guess a real key question here is what do regulations actually mean in a large country like um, Indonesia? Do you change everything overnight? Probably not. Um, what is now beginning to be looked at quite seriously in places like Europe and the US is this concept of regulatory sandboxes is not to change everything overnight, but recognize that you could take, for example, in Indonesia, a group of islands or a region and do something completely different with a new set of regulations that then act as the experimental, or if you like, the test tube for a change going forward. So the country learns, the country sees, and people hopefully see the opportunities as well as the threats and that's, I think, a focus for where the JETP ought to be taking its discussions as it begins to develop the scope. What I also say is we've gone at the times where basically infrastructure was managed entirely by national money, by state controlled budget. Uh, we are in a world where PPPs are going to take over and there has to be private capital as well as public capital put into those investments. So. You do need to create an infrastructure for the types of investments that we're talking about today that are not just nationally funded, but also introduce private finance, giving them an adequate rate of return. And as we all know with infrastructure, the only way to do that is to give them, to keep the, low, the rate of return low, is to give them regulatory certainty for a reasonably long period of time so that the investments could be made. And again, that's another reason why regulatory sandboxes may be the way forwards. And in a way where people see, ah, maybe this works, maybe this is an opportunity, it's not as bad as we thought. And that's the kind of attitude we need to see adopted in a country like Indonesia. Yes, I fully agree with what uh, Peter just said. Actually, that is a part of the contribution of JetP, right? There's no guarantee that certain model will be successful whenever we, we try it. Uh, so we may have to deal with several trials before we come up uh, with a good model for JetP implementation uh, or which sector or yeah, which area that we can make more progress 
And of course, we need to differentiate the, the variation within sector, within industry, within community, how we should consider different characteristics for different sector and different industry. I think that's also important for the successful implementation of JetP program. Sure, thank you. Um, let, let's stay on sectors, but approach it from a different angle. So, of course, JetP, the, the main focus for Indonesia is coal phase-out and bring in renewables. But I'm just wondering, you know, based on what you hear about the progress of the JetP um, discussion now, or, you know, your own opinions, are there um, other sectors or industries that may feature in how Indonesia may want to implement its JetP deal? So this question I'm referencing, how South Africa is approaching that the first country to do its JetP, how it's saying that it wants to focus on not just electricity, but also new energy, I suppose, electric vehicles and green hydrogen as the sectors they want to pump money into. Um, maybe, Peter, could I start with you? Um, for Indonesia, any sectors you think that it's key for Indonesia to get money into for its JetP deal? Yeah, well, I, you know, obviously, electrification is one major part, but obviously, the technologies required to create a, a, a more effective uh, energy system of the future boils down to an, in, in, into a number of areas. So, you know, other areas that I put in um, are clearly um, there is a massive opportunity in Indonesia to reduce demand um, and to create a better demand side response in terms of the way energy is moved forwards in the future. So eliminating wasted energy uh, you know, is a quick and easy win that obviously Indonesia should be looking at. Um, then the third area part, in addition to renewables, is of course the whole issue of low carbon and carbon reduction. Um, and that not everything can be achieved by just moving to renewables, because even within a fast-paced renewables um, acceleration, including geothermal and other renewable energies, we'll still be burning oil and gas. We'll still be using uh, um, high emitting uh, industries will still be emitting methane into the atmosphere from farming, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Within that context, obviously, hydrogen is quite closely linked to the subject of decarbonisation. Uh, and then the two final areas are obviously, you know, we need to begin to start looking at other abatements um, within that context: carbon capture, utilisation, and storage, uh, possibly even other forms of engineered carbon solutions that need to be brought into play. And those, those are technologies that are now developing rapidly uh, in Europe and the States and, and need to very quickly start developing in this part of the world. So Indonesia needs to create a vision and say, OK, look, carbon capture, what are we going to do about it? How do we scale these things up? Those are big opportunities. Sure. So basically a few key sectors. You mentioned efficiency, um, reducing waste. Uh, with electricity and energy and also low carbon and CCUS technologies. Yeah, uh, Siwagi, anything to add there in terms of the key focus areas or sectors that the JetP money should go into in Indonesia? Uh, in terms of electrification, yes, I think uh, we need to focus more on the eastern part of Indonesia, which is uh, has lower electric electrification ratio. And uh, we know that in terms of carbon emission, it's not only electricity that generate uh, carbon emission, but also transportation and uh, household. So in Indonesia, we we uh, know that a lot of people rely on motorcycle, right? You travel, use uh, motorcycle to travel anywhere around the the cities area or even in their uh, rural areas. So by uh, thinking about how to uh, maybe uh, electric 
fight this motorcycle, like making their more kind of clean in terms of the emission. Yeah, that's another thing uh, which we can consider for JetP implementation, right? Uh, another thing that I also uh, considered important for JetP success is human resources. Uh, in Indonesia, a lot of people still maybe not quite uh, aware or uh, concerned about this, uh, the importance of energy transition. So it is also important we educate the people, uh, communicate with the people about the, the benefit for for the whole population, for the whole country when we implement this kind of energy transition. So I think, uh, again, with the support from the, the population or the Indonesian people, I, I guess there's a chance that, that the program will be more successful. Uh, Indonesia is still developing countries, right? It's not like UK or the, the European kind of uh, population that already aware about the the, the importance of uh, taking care of our environment, our uh, our ecosystem. So this, I think, uh, very important, very key for the success of JetP program. And I think it's important to stress, you mentioned South Africa, which of course was the first JTP. And of course, we now have a JTP with Vietnam as well to look at, which is another uh, interesting parallel to benchmark. But I think what is important to recognize is that all JTPs basically consist of a mix of concessional loans, market-based loans, grants and guarantees, um, and private investments um, from public and private entities. So by definition, the money is not free. <laughs> The, 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 you, you need to be able to make a rate, rate of return out of that money before the money is available. And I think what is the barrier to the JTP right now is actually creating the space for the money to be used effectively, because the money is sitting there, but in order to successfully implement JTP requires clear and transparent return on the capital employed that satisfies the donors of the money within the JETP framework, which is partially Indonesian money and it's partly international money. Um, again, uh, you know, is Indonesia going to turn around and say, well, in five years, all motorbikes need to be electric or whatever the figure might be? That's a pretty challenging thing to do. So um, what we're going to have to do is to actually, again, carve out pieces of business. We're back to this idea of sandboxes. Okay. Let's take a region or let's take a community or let's take a subsector and let's make it happen. What does that action look like in terms of bite-sized investable chunks of capital? Uh, to me, that's the challenge for Indonesia. Indonesia is very good at saying, oh, we're so big and so complex that we can't do anything and nothing happens. Instead of saying, actually, what we need to do is to break the problem up and say, let's actually try and make something happen that's effective, commercial and can actually act as a catalyst to long-term change. I'm aware of the time we still have, but I, I just have one follow-up question on this topic. Um, perhaps I'll, I'll throw it to Siwagi. Um, so this stems from my conversation with other analysts on what they think you know, private investors in the JetP program may look to kind of, in, in a sense, get out of Indonesia. And one topic has been nickel mining. So obviously um, Indonesia is one of the biggest nickel miners in the world, and it also has its own ambition to be a battery production giant. I'm just wondering, you know, 
just your opinion on whether the nickel nickel mining and battery production should feature as part of the JetP deal for Indonesia, and what are the risks and benefits they bring? I think ideally, uh, this uh, sector needs to be included because uh, they maybe uh, contribute significantly to the uh, carbon emission. So, the uh, in the ideal world, we should uh, get their these players that considered as the the dirty industry to to be willing to change their way of doing business. So uh, the the challenge will be will it be easy to bring them uh, to this uh, green energy transition? What kind of compensation that the government uh, can offer to these uh, industries in order to change oh, the way they their production that relies heavily on coal? If we uh, force them to change from coal to uh, renewable energy, it will significantly affect their productivity and also it will perfect their commercial uh, like uh, of economic viability. So again, uh, whether this investor that already committed to develop smelter in Indonesia will be happy to change their uh, the, uh, energy energy sources from coal to other energy uh, and it relies on the uh, support from the government and also other other maybe partners as well we need to discuss with industry players right what, what are they the challenges what are their concern uh, what kind of concession that they re, re, uh, needs from the government and uh, yeah this should be transparent transparently uh, discussed uh, negotiated it's not like behind the scene you you make a deal, but then uh, yeah again uh, the deal is actually not not satisfactorily for uh, yeah some parties. So yeah, transparency is important in 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 this kind of uh, negotiation. Yeah, so, okay, I have a slight, very quickly. Yeah, <laughs> slightly different view. Um, uh, I'm I'm not saying we should exclude it, but uh, when it comes to mining uh, and resources, I think decarbonization and the move to decarbonization is important and I also think the move to a more circular use of those resources is very important. So where I think there is a difference looking at the future is that JTP is there to provide some support but that support is more around making sure that the nickel when it is mined is used appropriately and returned and recycled appropriately. So miners must take responsibility in the future for their own value chain. So those two elements, mm -hmm. I think, do cover and should be covered within JETP as absolutely fundamental, not giving money to miners to, to mine nickel without the yes buts that I've just mentioned now. So carrots and sticks need to be built in to what is ever given to the resource producers in order to create that circular decarbonized economy. Cool. I think we, we, we can go into so many side conversations about the sectors. I mean, there was hydrogen, there was carbon capture and now nickel. But I guess um, really time for one last quick question. It's kind of rapid fire for each speaker. I just want to bring it back to the social, the, the just part of JetP. So, I mean, last week we just had the secretariat form um, for, for JetP in Indonesia. And I think they have about three more months to come up with the implementation plan. Um, just like I said, rapid fire, maybe starting with Peter, what are the key considerations that Indonesia has to keep in mind when it develops its um, JetP implementation plan for the next few years? 
Uh, well, I, I put those very quickly into to three basic buckets. Um, you know, we've talked about the first one, regulatory. That the first thing they need to do is to create regulatory inertia. In other words, not just talking, but actually moving and actually doing stuff that is beginning to set the right sort of direction for change to occur in Indonesia. The second bucket is really around technology and technical inertia, which is obviously, you know, Indonesia needs to play to its strength, both in terms of resources, in terms of supply chains, and as Siwagi mentioned, capacity building as well. So, you know, again, uh, Indonesia needs to be much more clear about which areas of the value chain it wishes to play in within the whole context of the energy transition going forwards. And then the final one is obviously to do with investment and financing. Uh, you know, it needs to create the inertia for people to recognize that there is a PPP model that can work and that we're going to give it a try. And we're going to put some of these PPP models into activity rather than sort of going around in a circle and not getting anywhere with these, these financial models going forwards. So those three buckets all need inertia. They all need to be given the uh, ability to actually change. And as I say, there needs to be less talk and more action. I think, yeah, I agree. Regulation is important as quickly as possible. If Indonesia can come up with the new uh, law on renewable energy, then that will uh, provide the legal basis for this uh, program. And uh, after that, of course, the 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 journey is still quite long because uh, law itself is not operational without the uh, ministerial regulation and then also the uh, uh, kind of uh, operational regulation. And uh, often in Indonesia, the derivative regulation is actually uh, not in line with the uh, sometimes the other regulation. And that's uh, the thing that uh, coordination is important, harmonization of different regulation among different agencies also important. And uh, the second point is about the communication to the public. I think communication to the public is also uh, relatively poor. Uh, you, you know what happened during uh, Indonesia, the uh, preparation of the omnibus law right there's an issue with the uh, no no there's no wider stakeholders consultation and uh, it turns out to be that a lot of opposition from the people on on the new re uh, regulation uh, we don't want that to happen again so the best uh, uh, i think the ideal way is to include uh, to include a lot many stakeholders that will be affected by this program like industry or local communities to be uh, to be part of the uh, preparation of the regulation for this uh, energy transition. And then the last one is about uh, industry uh, partnership. I think we also want to have the strong partnership from the industry and uh, without the partnership, it is very, very uh, difficult to push this uh, forward. Right, sure. So overall, regulations, communications, and industry partnerships. Well, I suppose this is a good place to end off as we keep our eyes out on the detailed plans that the JetP Secretariat in Indonesia needs to come up with in the coming months. So thanks again, Dr. Siwagi Nagara, Senior Fellow at the ICS Yusuf Ishak Institute, and Peter Godfrey, Asia-Pacific Managing Director at the Energy Institute. This podcast was hosted by EcoBusiness, Asia's leading media company serving the region's sustainability community. 
Join the conversation at eco-business.com. Follow us on social media and subscribe to our newsletters. Thanks for listening.